media at SAFM with Ashraf Gardner. So de-branding, in fact, what is de-branding? Does it really work? Three guests to talk us through all of this. Doug de Villiers with me, who's the group CEO of Interbrand Samson. Doug, good morning and good chatting to you once again. Giles Shepard, he's the chief executive of Brand Alive. Giles, good chatting to you once again. And Gary Bryant from the uh, Brand Union Africa. Uh, Gary is the MD, of course. Brand, uh, Gary, good chatting to you too. Good morning, right. sir. So three of you. In fact, let me start with you, considering your company's got the name Brand in it. So we're doing very much the opposite of what we normally do. Instead of playing up a brand, is, is de-branding what, playing down a brand? I wouldn't say it's playing it down. It's uh, working a couple of different assets of the brand. Uh, a brand is not just a name, uh, which is where this de-branding came in, where you remove the name of the brand uh, and it's then said to be de-branded. Uh, I would contend that that's not actually happening. You leave the Nike logo, Coca-Cola removed the name and added a few people's names. It's still Coca-Cola and people completely recognize it. Therefore, the brand remains as it is. And, and the basic concept of de-branding, I mean, does it work? I think it does. You've got to Go through a couple of key steps, though. First of all, you have to have massive awareness for your brand. People need to know exactly what your brand is. And I think really importantly, the ones that get it right, over the years, they've built up a number of uh, factors that actually identify that brand. So in the case of Coca-Cola, you've got the bottle shape, the color red, the ribbon, uh, the mnemonic sound. There's lots of things that you could actually identify it without the name being there. And then thirdly, I think the most important part is it has to enhance your positioning. So mm. what Coca-Cola has done is removed the Coca-Cola brand name off the bottle and they put people's names on. And the idea then with a huge campaign that they've done in Australia and the UK is that you go and buy a Coca-Cola for your friend. So I will go and pick up an Ashraf and we'll share that. That's the brand value of Coca-Cola and just reinv- reinvigorates the okay, brand. Okay, that, that is so fascinating. I would suggest, uh, John Shepard, that that can only work with a brand that is that is very strong, isn't it? So let's take the Coca-Cola example with, with your name on it, uh, but the rest of the bottle looks exactly the same. That can only work when that bottle is identifiable, yeah? Absolutely. It's exactly what Gary was saying. You've got to have incredibly strong brand recognition and familiarity across a range of assets. And as also, as Gary said, The brand is not just in the name, nor is it in the logo or the visual assets. Fundamentally, the brand is in the experience, um, and what Coca-Cola are doing is they're emphasizing a particular point about the Coca-Cola brand, which is the sharing aspect. But they have got that halcyon state that all brands Mm. would hope to achieve, which is that you can afford to take the word away and still achieve absolute recognition just in a symbol. And, of course... Everybody's focusing on that Coca-Cola example because it's quite current and it's unique in the way that they've done it, putting human names instead of Coca-Cola. But there are other brands that have been doing it very successfully for many years. If you look at Apple, you look at the products, you won't see the word Apple there. If you go to Apple.com, you won't see the word Apple there either. So you just have that. You just have their icon. That Apple, the icon, Um, yes. Nike have done it. uh, Nike, arguably, the, the first to have ever um, so successfully done it um, but again as, as Gary says it's debranding is a word that um, is a little bit confusing there it's not really debranding mm. because debranding <laughs> suggests you yeah. take the, the brand away and the brand yeah. exists yeah. on so many levels what this is is uh, toying with the brand assets in a particular way to achieve a... Well, the question is when you result. toy with it, are you, are you playing with fire? Let's get the thoughts of uh, Doug De Villiers from Interbrand, uh, Samson Goodness. Everybody's got a brand in their name here, by the way, ironically. Doug, your thoughts on, on de-branding? Yeah, well, I mean, just um, back on what the rest of the team has, has said there as well, I think uh, to Giles' point, uh, de-branding, first of all, is the wrong word. This is very much de-logoing. 
um, which in itself is not new. Uh, to de-brand, you'd have to remove a whole host of those brand assets that Coca-Cola very clearly owns. Um, this is a de-logo. I think it's a very, very clever um, conversion of uh, the, the brand asset strength, if you like, to a tactic. Um, and it's going to work quite well for Coca-Cola. It's not new. It's happened before. But they're using a strong brand asset, a strategic asset, in uh, creating some very good tactical brand um, building as well. Very clever idea. And, and can a tactic like that be, be sustainable? Me- meaning, is it something, well, if you say tactically, it, I, I would think it's short term, isn't it? Now in this case here, uh, just, just to confirm for listeners who don't know, so 150 of, of the most popular names in Britain, that's just about every name that matters, I would think, uh, are now on these Coca-Cola bottles. The rest of the bottle looks just the same, but uh, the name Coca-Cola or Coke does not appear. But the rest of it, you, you'd know you've been drinking a Coke, but you're drinking a Coke with bearing, bearing your name. Uh, your thoughts, Doug, in, in terms of whether it's, you know, how, how long before you have to drop a campaign like that? Yeah, look, I think it's a short-term campaign. I mean, clearly 150 names is not all. Um, I've yet to see a cocaine with, with Ashraf on it, so, mm, mm, you know, mm. maybe there's something there. You'll have a word with him. But, mm. um, look, it's going to create the buzz, and uh, exactly what is happening right now, we're talking about Coca-Cola, um, we're talking about this product on a nameless bottle or a logoless bottle, if you like. Um, so, clearly, short-term tactic, probably very clever. I think, you know, Coca-Cola's strength over the last 126-odd years has been you know, remaining connected and, and relevant and authentic in the market and doing things slightly differently. And this is, yet again, a good proof point of the way they carry um, strategy through to tactics. I would suspect it's short-term. It will roll into other countries. We may see it here even. I don't know. Um, but they've created the buzz, which is exactly what they wanted. Um, but it needs to move away right now because there is risk to alienate, you know, a huge amount of people whose names are not on the tin. Well, I was going to just get, when you mentioned my name, I said, okay, so, if you apply that to South Africa and we have John and, and, and Mike and Doug and, and Gary and we leave, uh, we leave uh, for example, we leave Ashraf, we leave Sipo, we leave uh, uh, some other names like Louise, so goodness, we're going to have problems. I mean, just, just your thoughts on that, uh, Gary? Yeah, Cultural issues, you know, where, where do you stop here? Absolutely. I think it's massively challenging. And the two countries that have launched this are Australia and, and the UK. Fairly homogenous population in uh, Australia. UK is certainly very diverse. I know what Australia has done, though, is they've created booths where you can go in and personalize your can for yourself. So even if you're not one of the 150, uh, you'll go in and be able to access this brand. And in Australia, they've taken a step further and asked people to please vote on more names they think should be on there on their Facebook page. So again, engaging people through social media, uh, but also making sure that everybody feels included because at the end of it, okay, it's and, that, and that's pretty clever because I mean, the reality is they would know the most popular names in that country anyway, but they want you to tell them and state the obvious, right? Uh, your, your thoughts, Giles, uh, I mean, in terms of, you know, what are the risks involved in, in this type of thing? Because we'll just stay with Coke for now and look at other examples too, but let's say what are the risks involved? Well, I mean, in, in that example, that is obviously a key risk. No brand can satisfy all of its market all of the time. So they have had to do this, uh, this aspect of, of selecting 150 of the most common. Um, I would not s- expect that you're going to get a, a significant negative reaction in a marketplace because uh, particular names aren't there. I mean, there'll be a level of understanding. But, yes, that is a risk that um, people will, will feel left out or, or irritated, and it's a very clever solution to, to come up with... Uh, Going in and being able to you tell do it in your own booth, yeah. or you know, I can input input names. Uh, but there are all sorts of risks, and um, depending on the on the strength of the brand involved, um, those risks are going to be uh, mitigated or 
uh, or higher in, in, in among certain brands, um, depending on the relationship that it has with its customers. All right, just to, just to tell uh, you as a listener, if you wish to join the conversation and, and talk about uh, branding or de-branding or de-logoing, whatever that is, uh, you certainly can call in 0891 otherwise you can SMS. Uh, Matapella will sort that out if you call in to, and the SMS is 3471. Or just tweet your views as well, at Ashraf Garda. But let's then talk, you know, Doug, about, up to now we've been talking about... Uh, Global brands, you know, we, you mentioned Nike and, and uh, of course, it's, you know, we're talking Coca-Cola as well. What, what about in, in this country? Are there examples of this de-branding or de-logoing that, that has existed for, for truly South African brands? And what's happened to them, Doug? Well, I'm not aware of any guys that have, that have literally removed the entire logo of their product. But there's certainly a significant number of, of top brands that we've got in the country that could quite easily um, get away with not having to obviously state you know, a, the name of the brand and in certain cases uh, even put the logo where to it. And, you know, Castle Lager would be a great example. They're already using this on a whole host of, of advertising campaigns where you know, the, the packaging design, the visual language, of course, is all there, but the product itself and the name Castle Lager is certainly not at all put forward. And the same would apply to a whole host of various banks, um, uh, even cell phone organizations uh, with a dominant yellow color would get away with it quite easily. Mm, indeed. Well, ironically, just talking about names, Castle Lager, uh, I think it was Castle, had to, had to have a name change of sorts because of regulations in France, and they called it Charles, isn't it? So it certainly worked uh, a long, long time ago. But uh, Gary, let me bring you in, just to remind listeners, three guests, Gary Bryant is the MD of the brand Union Africa, Giles Shepard is uh, from Brand Alive, and Doug DeVillis, his voice now, is with uh, Interbrand Samson. Gary, now, you know, the point brought up that it can only really work, I think we've established, it can only work with, with companies that have already got sufficient brand value, right? But, but if people listening, looking at sort of owning and managing much smaller brands, even at a, at a community level, I mean, can, can they do the same? At community level, with experiment within that small five-kilometer radius? I believe that's possibly a, a great opportunity for someone who's got the, the guts to go out and actually do that. You've got to make sure and say that that, that awareness there and, and potentially in a, a community, uh, these brands are potentially very, very well known. And by removing certain things, you can possibly elevate it into a cult status. Uh, I would see things like uh, musicians, those types of guys. Someone like the Parlotones, they've made the megaphone very much their own symbol. Mm, uh, mm, somebody mm, like mm. that could go and do something. So I think, again, it comes down to who's following your brand brand, how well do they know it and how well are they exposed to it and have you done a good enough job to consistently build a number of different assets by which your brand can be identified and if you've got that right I don't think it really matters about the size okay, of your brand. I can just imagine a whole lot of brand uh, marketers at this moment listening to say okay maybe we should be considering all of that. Charles let, let's talk about the risks involved so, so have there been examples where you know risks have been so great that these attempts to, to do brand new logo have backfired miserably? Ooh, I've not that I'm, you know, if you're talking about a, um, a well-known brand, certainly not that I'm aware of mm. where it's actually gone in, in reverse for the brand. A lot of brands over time have purposely tried to create this status. And a, and a very good example uh, many years ago was Benson and Hedges. Uh, the reason was what uh, the, the development of what we referred to as dark marketing because you could no longer advertise cigarettes. Yes. So they couldn't actually in advertising or in overt communication go out and say Benson and Hedges. So there was a huge effort to create very strong recognition in a black ampersand symbol mm -hmm. on a yellow background. So they took the brand assets, the visual identity, they strong, that were strongly already associated with the Benson and Hedges brand, and they put that into sponsorships and 
all sorts of various forms of communication with the intention that after the closure of uh, allowable advertising, they could put that symbol forward in, in those continued forms of communication. Did, did that happen? It did happen, and it was very, uh, very powerful. Of course, what then went on was regulations came in to prevent them from even doing that because it was seemed to be too strong an association. Um, but uh, so they, they weren't so successful. Um, of course, this does also go back to other areas of, uh, well, a similar regulation was uh, in Formula One when they couldn't put cigarette advertising mm, onto mm, mm, mm. the vehicles, uh, the, 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 the Formula One cars, in certain markets. And a good case in point was Marlborough uh, sponsoring a Formula One team in, in the, I think, the French Grand Prix was the first, where they had to take the word Marlborough off the car and just leave that familiar red and white chevron shape on there. Um, and as Gary said, um, you know, certain brands in Marlborough uh, are one of them where they built up almost a, an iconic status um, and people see that part of the visual language almost as badgeable. All right, so, so this is quite fascinating, Doug. Just to move slightly off at a tangent, South Africa having its own debate regarding uh, regulations around alcohol advertising. I know the Minister of um, Health is, is certainly very much offside in terms of wanting uh, you know, th- those markets in terms of alcohol to promote themselves. Right? So, so would we see that in, in the short term? That means unless they tighten up in advance, uh, Doug, that would you see the agencies and the brands plotting and planning to say short term, goodness, we're not going to put our names, we've got a plan already. Well, I think there's, there's even more to it than that, and that is a, it's, it's more than just a slight deviation from the, pro, uh, from the conversation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but to your point, yes, I think you know, more and more clever brands, clever marketers are looking at, regardless of, of, of legislation or, or pending legislation, looking at different options to bring their brands to market in a differentiated and noticeable manner. There's just so much noise out there with traditional advertising that it's just a shouting competition. Now, you know, whether you decide to bring your brand to market using other clever tactics or other clever methods, and be it packaging or be it uh, the way you promote or the events that you support, um, the design of the product, all of these good things, um, there are certain incidents right now, of course, with, with alcohol and tobacco, with the various sin products, where you're going to have no choice. Now, clearly there's, uh, there's, there's a whole lot of issues to that as far as the impact on the economy is concerned, but the basic principles of branding still remain. You still need to find different and uh, new and um, uh, recognized methods of bringing those brands to market. And sometimes you're going to step completely away from talking about the physical product, um, showing its logo or its name completely, but still creating a very clear following through social media, through events, through CSI, through a whole host of other um, uh, tools that we've got in the, in, the, in the marketing kit that are often not used well enough. You know, we tend to rely just on advertising. There are great ways of bringing brands to market in a more impactful manner mm-hmm. by staying completely away from advertising. Yeah, well, I mean, so, social media, and it, it's something we talk about very often. Gary, I don't get your thoughts on that. I mean, that it, 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 it almost it lends itself to that. Uh, well, for example, I'm just thinking M- Michael Jordan, and goodness, we all talk about him so often, where certainly when he now talks through social media, Twitter, uh, and I know he's leaving F&B soon, but, but when he does, he doesn't have to even put the name F&B next to his name. Everybody just knows that... You want to get to the boss of F&B, go directly to him. So there's an example where F&B doesn't exist in terms of his dialogue with us, but it certainly does, yeah? Absolutely. I think what they've done there, again, is they've been very consistent. Uh, Michael's got a particular tone of voice. It's consistent throughout, and he will always reference F&B. So I think he's built this up now over three, four years in a really great presence online. 
people are completely familiar with it, but they've repeated it continuously and very consistently. And if you do that, uh, you've got meaning in it and, and you very easily mm. can slip away from now, the now, brand. Now, the other point, I'm going to get to all three of you guys' thoughts on the, the point made about, you know, too much clutter and how do you sort of shout out. Is, is this going to be, you know, do we then see an, an international trend as well as maybe a national brand, a trend rather, which is, you know, get silent in the clutter and by being silent, you know, whatever silent really means, it's going to work. Mm-hmm. I think that's potentially dangerous. <laughs> You've got to have a look at your brand and exactly who you are. And I think it's understanding where you're coming from and whether or not a tactic like this is going to be appropriate. Completely appropriate for somebody like Coca-Cola because, as I said earlier, you've got to make sure that when you do this, it talks back to your brand positioning. Coca-Cola have done it fantastically. Nike, Starbucks, we haven't really referred to remove mm, theirs. Mm. And that was about becoming more local. Uh, they'd become this big mega brand that was taking over the world. So by removing the name, they've actually been able to localize their stores and continue their brand of being the third place. It's your home away from home, and they've made it more homely. So it works for them there. But if you do it and it goes against what your brand stands for, then you're in deep water. Mm. A- a- anything, John, that you want to bring up that, that, we, that we haven't touched on? Uh, well, I think the... Um the uh, consistency aspect that uh, Gary referred to, and uh, this is what customers are looking for in any brand. Um, you know, recognition is just one component, but what, what people are looking for is something they can consistently rely on, uh, and that is what brands have to, to target. When we talk about the, the communication aspect, it's not about becoming silent. It's about, as Doug was saying, there is, there's a lot of noise. It's about finding new and innovative ways to mm-hmm. connect with your customers and create an understanding of who you are, what you stand for. But at the base of it, um, these service, surface aspects, if you like, um, need to be considered in one dimension. Brands cannot lose their focus on delivering a relevant, powerful, compelling and consistent product, service, whatever it is at the heart of the brand. Because at the end of the day, you can say or do whatever you like and whatever is vogue and uh, and attractive if your product or service is not delivering something that's powerful and relevant and consistent it's going to All right. So some comments. Shallow uh, Facebooking saying, in fact, yes, it can work with bigger brands, as we've discussed, and certainly not smaller. And another question, what are the objectives of uh, de-branding and how positive are the results in terms of, of sales? So maybe the, the link already is, is the objectives in terms of sales. Uh, Doug, do you, you want to answer that? Well, I mean, sure. They, 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 the ultimate aim is to, is to you know, is, is economics. They want revenue. They want to push sales. But I think a couple of very important things that have happened here. The, the great brands of the world are, tend to be quite brave. And you'll, you'll look at all of them. These guys have stepped out of the mold. They've changed the product or they've changed an element of the mix and they've been pretty consistent in bringing something that is market relevant out quite quickly. What Coca-Cola's done right now is also leverage technology. And, you know, this in itself is a big change. It was impossible to think before that you would be able to, if you like, you know, produce that many containers, that many packaging units um, that are different because the economy of scale just wasn't there. But, of course, the manufacturing technology is there to do it now. So these guys are already, you know, they're so far ahead of the game. They've been quite brave in, in new attempts to bring the, the product to market, and technology is helping it. So you're heading into an area where you can have, if you like, you know, mass bespoke products. Um, and this would scare the hell out of most uh, organizations and manufacturers, but most probably this is the way that things are going to change, where you're going to have bespoke products and bespoke packaging and um, even presentation in retail and what have you. 
and Coca-Cola leads, they don't follow. So by taking this sort of brave mm-hmm. step forward, um, they're again just reinforcing their position as a great brand. Yeah, tell you what, certainly happy to track down what's happened with the brand Coca-Cola just a few months after that campaign. I'll tell you what, let, let me end with, with something that's very topical for us in the next few months in terms of um, how political parties could, could probably learn, learn from this. Uh, Gary, your thoughts on this one? Because yeah. I mean, we, we know the posters are going to come up and they're going to irritate us all all the posters with the same sort of similar messages, lots of faces, lots of 20 messages on one you know, poster. What, what can we learn from this? Or what can they learn from this, really? I think one of the key things here, and if you almost go into how the brain works, uh, it, to process a name, uh, you have to go through a serial thing. It's quite a slow process in your brain. Mm. If you see a symbol, it immediately imparts a large amount of information. And I think what the political parties have got to start doing is understanding the power of symbolism and creating very simple iconography that can quickly translate a consistent message, as Giles was saying, no different for a brand uh, and for a political party having to be consistent in delivering on something. Uh, delivery maybe not something associated <laughs> <laughs> with political parties. But Barack Obama, you know, he made the you know the sort of best logo of 2008 was his campaign logo. It stood for so much, and he imbued it with an incredible amount of meaning. If our political parties could start getting into that sort of a space and imbuing a, a positive and consistent meaning, uh, I think there's a good lesson for them there. Okay, interesting one. Giles, your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, it would be nice if if certain uh, politicians did remove their names from campaigns altogether. <laughs> it is a it's a very uh, tricky area the, uh, the the area of politics and, and imbuing it as as Gary says with with meaning and and delivery. You know that's a lesson that uh, somehow we've just got to learn in this country still. Um, in in other countries in the states and and. Uh, Many other countries, they completely understand that it's very short term. You've got to you've got to make meaningful promises, and you've got to deliver. Otherwise, you just don't get another term. Um, in this country, we don't have that status, that state. Yeah, yet. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's too much reliance on on the the momentum that will carry you forward, and uh, uh, that's not going to last very much longer. Mm-hmm. So the politicians have to. Yes, that iconography can be there, but the the delivery has got to start happening, otherwise the whole table is going to turn. Okay, Doug, Doug, Doug Williams, your, uh, your thoughts lastly on the political parties and, uh, you know, de-logoing? Well, if you look at, at, at branding itself, I mean, branding is the delivery of a, of, of a promise, something mm-hmm. easy as that, which mm-hmm. makes politicians probably, you know, the ultimate anti-branders, because largely <laughs> it's all promise and no delivery, and that's global, that's not just, yeah. yeah. I think uh, if you can link our political parties to Coca-Cola, I think... Uh, um, Jacob and Helen might be uh, uh, appearing quite heavily in every single uh, uh, garage and forecourt um, on the side of cocans. I think Grumpella's going to have a slightly more difficult time. <laughs> okay, let's leave it at that. I'll tell you what, a couple of things. Uh, Imprint is saying debranding for big brands can be done to ascertain whether they still hold a commanding force in the market. And yes, they have made their mark, can get to appreciate our goodwill. As customers, we know our stuff, small brands on the other hand, are still trying to break into the market, so it would be unfair for them to de-brand. They still have to make their mark. Just just final thoughts from me. One is, if we're looking at de-branding from political parties, I think colors, co- parties with strong color uh, in, in, in terms of their logos can sort of drop other things. For example, the ANC, I think the, the black, green, and gold is strong. But if you ask me about the DA, really, it doesn't really matter what color the blues. I'm not really sure whether it actually works for me. And if you ask me about the other political parties, I don't think any of them work in terms of the colors. Uh, the red beret, however, EFF, I think now that's a logo to play around with because the image is strong. They were in Nigeria this week, and all of them, again, with the red berries. I'm talking about Julius Malema and company, certainly works. And just the final one in terms of branding, I just thought about it now. So, 
Hashim Amla doesn't wear the, the Castle Lager logo in about, whatever, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, they then agreed to have the, just the, the red square, red triangle, or, uh, yeah, it was, um, and so the triangle, uh, rectangle rather, uh, in replacing that. But there was so much publicity around it. It was actually phenomenal in terms of him not wearing it. It created more publicity, I think, uh, for his ethical stance, but also for, for, for SA Brewery. So maybe that's a good example of just that one red block that worked a long, long time ago. Guys, thanks for your time. Dr. Willis, appreciate your input, together with Gary Bryant and uh, Giles Shepard. Appreciate your input, guys. Indeed.